and welcome to Clappercast. I'm your host as always, Carson Tamar, and today we are talking about Yorgos Lanthimos's newest feature, Poor Things. Debuting at the Venice Film Festival earlier in the year, Poor Things follows a woman named Bella Baxter, who is relearning everything about both herself and the world around her following a tragic accident that required surgery from a doctor named Godwin. Godwin has taken Bella in as his own, but as Bella grows, she wants to experience the world and she sets off on an adventure alongside a lawyer named Duncan Wedderburn. After having attended the film's world premiere in Venice, Niccolo Grasso joins the show today to discuss why Poor Things is not only one of the most creative films of the year, but also possibly one of the best. We also discuss the differences between the film and the book it was based on. US audiences can watch Poor Things in theaters starting December 8th. With that said, enjoy our review of Poor Things. This is Bella. Bella, this is Mr. McCandles. Hello, Bella. No! She's an experiment. Good evening. Her brain and her body are not quite synchronized. But she's progressing at an accelerated pace. And I think there's no better way to start here than the man who went to Venice Film Festival to see this. Apparently not at the world premiere, I've been informed. Um, I was scowled at when I said you went to the world <laughs> premiere, right? Um, but you saw it in Venice. You know, who cares? You saw it months ago, right? And everyone else had to wait. So I don't really care. Nick, what were your thoughts to intro us off here on Poor Things? Oh, I was so excited for this. Um, I this year I went to the Venice Film Festival as just a, uh, as a, as a normal audience member with with uh, with pay, paying for tickets and all of that classic stuff, and I was I was like my sister read the she went as press let's say she didn't want to watch poor things because she thought it was very I don't know she she was bothered by the premise of like oh it's like uh, this eight year old's a brain inside this big woman's body and she's overly sexualized and even the festival director sold it in a very bad way he made it sound like a pervy film the way he talked about it in the in the press uh, preview and so she was like i'm not gonna see proof things i hated the favorite i'm not gonna see it and i was like you're gonna see this is gonna win golden lion we're gonna get tickets to the winning film last day and we're gonna watch it together and that's exactly what happened and i had the biggest grin the entire freaking movie I, it doesn't happen much this year where i just watch a movie and i just feel just pure joy it's only happened one more time this year in terms of pure joy and it was john wick chapter four of like 2023 original new releases it was like the only other film like that i didn't feel Hitman like quantum mania didn't do it for you I didn't see it. Maybe when I when I when I watch it, uh, IMAX enhanced on Disney Plus. The way the mouse wants me to see it, uh, maybe. Uh, but but anything else, I have enjoyed a lot of movies, but nothing has made me feel like that up until Poor Things. I was just, it was everything that I hoped for and more. This film has so much energy, so much style, and so much substance. This is. Barbie for adult audiences. I really want to slap people that say that Barbie should be something that it isn't. It shouldn't be at at like a PhD thesis on feminism. It's meant for little girls and women who didn't really grow up with those ideas to really 
just just understand it in an easy to digest way. It's not supposed to be anything more than that on a thematic level. And as a film, it's just pure fucking fun. But Poor Things actually takes those ideas of feminism and agency and and and, and adds the entire elements of sexuality and it takes it into such bizarre and unexpected directions that we'll talk about. But general first impressions, I really love this movie. I really want to watch it again as well, especially after having read the book, which I'll talk about like at the end of the episode. Because there's so much here to unpack. But uh, Emma Stone in this, excellent. Willem Dafoe, love him. Rami Youssef, a revelation. But my boy, Mark Ruffalo, as Duncan Weddenburn. <laughs> it's, it's the performance of the century. <laughs> It's I. There's never been better acting than this in any movie ever. Just, I, just I. W- I want a super cut of him. I want a fan edit. I will make the fan edit of him. It's just ah, uh, it's so good. Carson, what are your thoughts? On the things? fan cam is gonna go hard for him, is what I'll say. Oh man. Um. The so stash, I was, the eyeliner. <laughs> oh, it's iconic. I mean, it's iconic, right? Instantly, um, instantly. Yeah. Oh, instantly. Um, I was really nervous. First, I don't know why going to this film. I love Lanthimos, right? I've loved mm. basically all of his films. Mm. You are someone I trust a lot. I really respect your opinion. You went in and loved this. This got wide acclaim before I saw it. And I was like, you know, every year there's a couple films that everyone loves that I don't like. And looking at this trailer, it was very concerning to me because it's obviously this huge fantasy world, not a lot of restrictions. And a lot of the time when you take really talented filmmakers, as even this year with Bose Afraid and Ari Aster, for me, I feel like some filmmakers get lost in the um, dream of like what they can make and the size of it and the scale of it, that they lose the substance, mm-hmm. that they lose the backbone of like why I like your film is not because it looks really fun or really interesting or because it's so weird. It's because it has something legit to say. And Nick, I love you. Sometimes when as a filmmaker, you are really dazzled by people who make choices and create really interesting stuff. So everything was here narrative wise. I'm easily dazzled. Like, Right. <laughs> Everything here was like, oh, I'm going to hate this film, aren't I? Oh, I'm so sad that I'm going to hate this and everyone loved it. So I sat down to watch it expecting fully like this is not going to be for me. And y'all, I loved four things. I loved this film to the point where like, Weird. as you probably can tell, this is not a normal scheduled episode. We're doing a bonus episode because I was like, I was like, hey, Nick, like any chance you want to record? Because I, I want to talk about this movie. Um what can you say? An adult modern fairy tale, unlike any other, uh, not just is this world so fucking fun and so good to explore. The visuals, magical, oh. truly transporting to another world in every way. The aesthetic, the production design, the colors are so, so well realized. It's incredible. Truly, like, I think one of the most visually impressive films of all time. I'll say it. Like, I think it's really up there. Um, but then you get the substance, as you mentioned. And at first I was a little worried. Um, Emma Stone, obviously, you have this whole backstory where she has been in this accident. She has the brain of a younger person and she's developing and like she wants to go explore the world. And I was like, oh, I don't know how I feel about this. But then what you find is this fucking incredible story of feminism, of agency, of sex, the politics of sex, the politics of money. Um, You get this beautiful look at this person, this human who has none 
of the social context that we've all grown up with, right? We don't know why you don't just go give money to, or she doesn't know why you don't just go give money to people who need it, who are suffering in society. She doesn't understand why it's gross to have sex or why it's gross to become a prostitute, right? All these things she does not understand the social context of. So she's able to like a wrecking ball, like break into it and just Mm -hmm. go full into it. And some things she learns how she feels and she reacts and she realizes some things are bad. Some things she's like, it's stupid that you feel this way. And it's just such a compelling look at the politics but behind all these things of gender. Um, specifically, I mean, I cannot imagine Peace and Love watching this next to my sister, uh, considering just how much sex there is in this film. Well, she was in the um, row in front of me, so, so well. she was Okay, next that's to me, good. Yeah. I feel like if I was next, like, you know, next to my sister, I would be a little awkward. Um, but I mean, just like starting us off, like, incredibly rich incredibly imaginative and all done in this storybook way where it really feels like a fairy tale in the Mm -hmm. best of ways my one issue and we'll save it towards the end because i even want to kind of want to get into spoilers but like i think the ending misses the mark but other than that very very well done emma stone what i mean as you mentioned the entire cast mark ruffalo's iconic willem dafoe i mean it's fucking willem like yes he chews up the scenery and he has this wonderful thing where he um he's been experimented on as a child so he doesn't have um stomach (laughs) acid so he just sits there and how he burps out his like stomach acid into these bottles it's and he just like yells as he does it little things like that they're so weird but they had so much personality and charm to the film um I loved it. I mean, I really love this. So it's one of the best of the year. I have to admit. It's what you like. I mean, we're, we're all guilty of it. We use hyperbole. Hyperboles and all of those. Ah, it's best. Like you've never seen it. Like, ah, fuck off. Genuinely. I've never seen a movie like this. And even the things you can compare it to. I think it's like a sick child, twisted child version of like a Terry Gilliam brazil whatever film with guillermo del toro and even then doesn't really sell it (laughs) as the movie that it is it's so its own thing which i really love i and especially even in terms of like choices of lenses camera movements it feels very much like an evolution of the favorite which was already incredibly bold i remember like watching that in venice as well back in 2018 and some friends of mine like didn't like the choice I was like what's with this fisheye lens and and like the, the the windows are all blown out and overexposed this is that's not how you that's not the rules of cinema and Latham was just like fuck the rules this is a visionary filmmaker in the actual sense it's not Zack Snyder it's not Michael Bay even though I kind of like those two filmmakers but that's beside the point like this man has a fucking vision and he pursues it. And the fact that the movie works as well as it does, it's insane. It's absolutely insane. And it's so much fun. Like, it's the most I've laughed in, like, I haven't laughed this much. I, I mean, this year, probably the only other movie I laughed a lot with was probably Barbie, to be honest. Like, in terms of, like, consistent laughter. But this one got me even more because it's so... Blunt, and I think of all the of all the elements related primarily around uh, sexuality in here, the main one, and and you can honestly rename the movie as this. Like, there's just no shame in the way that this character Bella Baxter approaches the world. You can call this movie shameless, and it would work. Everything that's seen as wrong, 
that she shouldn't do is just because of shame of how other people are going. That's not how you do it. It's what are other people going to say? And she's like, who cares? <laughs> it's like, it's something, if you like doing something, just do it, you know? And the, the way all of these elements are, are, are interwoven together, it's, it's nothing sort of extraordinary. Like the characters are so rich and so instantly, like you, you realize who they are instantly they're all very much caricatures, but they also manage to have depths to themselves, which is, again, something that's very hard to accomplish, um, courtesy also of the cast, which is... We, we, we said it, we said it. It's just incredible. Yeah. And that classic Lanthimos writing. I mean, if you're a Lanthimos fan, this has everything you want from his film. It has the dark humor. It has the twisted sensibilities at times. The wit. Um, very, the wet, just endless wet. Um, I think it's just, I, I really appreciate it. And I think it says something with how I view Lanthimos now that I know he can go to a level this big and he doesn't lose a single step in that. Mm -hmm. um, obviously he's had clever um, ideas before, but easily when it comes to, like creating a world, this is his biggest effort um, and he knocks it out of the park. Um, I will say, I think like that's the most interesting, what this film does as far as exploring society, it is the most interesting part of society is like, we have all these things, like we kind of all play this game where like, if you boil it down, Let's talk about sex, for example. Like, sex really doesn't mean a lot, right? It's just like two bodies doing a physical act, right? But like, we put so much meaning and emotion behind it. And it's something that I find, like, personally, just incredibly frustrating. I've had conversations with Jack recently because um, I'm trying to do a feature about sex um, and like certain pieces of cinema um, that are maybe more explicitly just sex. Um, and I was like, you know, it's really like, where does the line between what cinema and what is like porn or whatever, like, why does it even matter though? Like, why can't we talk about these things in context with each other? Um, and like, I don't know. I, I, it's a conversation that's really been on my mind, which it's funny then to go see poor things. And it just explores that like perfectly. But um, it, it, that's the most interesting part of society is that it's this illogical set of like delusions as far as what is morally right or wrong, what is good or bad. And this is like one of the best natural pathways to have that exploration with Bella Baxter. Um, also just fantastic name. I never remember names from characters. If you watch this podcast, you'll notice I'm a whore. That's the worst thing about me. Never remember a name. Uh, Bella Baxter. I will always remember is from four things. I'll be like, I'll always have that stored in there. Um, Bella Baxter, Godwin Baxter, McCandles. Oh, so yeah. McCandles. I'll remember because of into the wild. Godwin is easy. Cause God, um, it's so good. Duncan um, I like that this film has so many questions that it doesn't really answer. Um, specifically, like, the Frankenstein narrative, which a lot of people are like, oh, it's a Frankenstein narrative. And, like, kind of, yeah. But it's also weird that, like, Godwin, like, looks like Frankenstein. He's the mm -hmm. one who physically resembles Frankenstein. He has all these cuts, and it looks like he's been stitched together. And you never really get a sense of what that relationship was or what that history is. Um, I wish, again, I think there was areas in the ending you could do a little bit more with. Uh, but I like that this film is one that you can, it has, it feels like it has a lore. It feels like it has a world. I don't know if anyone's watched Over the Garden Wall. Very weird comparison here. But like that is a world that you feel like there's so much happening and it doesn't give answers to it. But like it, when you live in a world, you don't have answers to everything. But if it still feels alive, it feels like there's a lore happening. I feel like that's a really rewarding space to exist in. And like I would love to keep going back to this film and finding new little weird things and trying to think about it. Um, there's one point where she is visiting um, Portugal 
And someone comes up to her in the hotel lobby and she's like, are you this woman? And I was like, oh, that is so fun that like now this little inkling is going to be there of like, because obviously this body, she had a life before she had the surgery, Mm -hmm. right? So I was like, oh, that's a fun little thing. I wish they kept that a little bit more like mysterious, just that little bit. Uh, But also like, I like that this is like our world, right? This is Portugal, Paris, all these things. But like, what happened? Are we in the past? Are we in the future? Like what what is going on with the world? Like there's so many questions. Um, and I love that we don't get answers to like any of them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pure fantasy. It's just pure fantasy, which is, which is delightful. And, and, and even then it manages to be kind of this alternate version of like the end of the 19th century where you have steamboats and it's border bordering on being steampunk, but it never fully goes in that direction, which I really appreciate because I'm not, a fan of just punk, like cyberpunk and steampunk. Like I can enjoy some things in those worlds, but it's not something I gravitate towards. So I like that it's kept more, like you said, like it doesn't fully go into that realm and it keeps it like, grounded in our own world, with like our own history, but it's this like weird version of it. Um, but it works, it works. And it pokes fun at so many elements of society, of, like high society, well, primarily high society is absolutely annihilated in this film uh, because of just how, and, and that's where the, the simplicity of Bella's character and the writing comes in, where it's just pointing out the obvious, but by explicitly stating it to the people who are doing certain things, but just going to like the rich men and, and women or whatever, and just telling them like, why don't you just give money to the poor? Like what's the, what's the big deal? Like they need money. We don't need money. We have food. We give them food. <laughs> Well, 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 you know, actually, that's not how it works. Why? Just tell me why. Why? <laughs> and just breaking down those things, it was it was incredible. And I also really like the structure of it because it starts off in London. Uh, is it London? It starts off yeah, in the U.S. Okay. London, I believe. Uh, because in the book, it's Glasgow. Uh, so it starts off in London. And then she just goes on this adventure around Europe and you follow her around. And, and each section feel so distinct from one another. Yeah. I also love the trans like the title screens trans- where, it's just, where she's just like Oh yeah. I, I I like that's one of those things. It could have been black screen, could have been on the actual shot. Instead Lantimos was like, why don't we just have, I don't know, freaking Emma Stone riding a giant fish with the with <laughs> yep. that, like port, like Lisbon. <laughs> In a massive, yeah. it's like okay, why not? Um, it's 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 a stroke of genius, but but even then, like all of these chapters have their own unique colors and unique flavors and visuals. And one part that not many people have mentioned that I really want to talk about is the cruise cruise yeah. ship section, where you also have I don't remember the guy's name. Um, I'm blank. Jack Barton, I don't know. Whatever. There's uh, uh, like an American black character. Harry uh, Harry Astley. There you go. There you go. Who's really good in the film. But then you also have Anna Shigula. And fellow cinephiles know she was mainstay and a legend who worked with uh, Fassbinder for a lot of years in a lot of movies. So to see her on, a, on, a, on the big screen was delightful. And, and the entire sequence on the boat where she's... Like, that's the moment where I, I thought, not only is this film great, but it might indeed be 
a masterpiece of sorts is because it starts off with, oh, Bella, sexuality, ha ha ha, she's pointing out things that are obvious about sex and no shame. And then it goes further. It's just not about that one joke. I think many other filmmakers would have made sexuality the primary focus of the narrative and instead Bella grows in many other ways as well and she starts learning about politics and philosophy and religion and I love I love that her creator who brought her back to life is called Godwin and she just calls him God and it just brings a whole like as a whole can of worms in terms of like conversation that one might can have about the characters and just I just life and and religion and belief but all the conversations that he has on the boat with just Anna Shigula, who's just this very open old lady, that's like, ah, yeah, I'm also like, sh- I gives a fuck. I'm like 80 years old and German and just enjoying life as is. <laughs> and the other man who's a nihilist, I think he's, he explicitly says he's like a nihilist or something like that. Uh, and he shows Bella like the dark side of humanity, trying to yeah. destroy her joy, trying to destroy her hope. Instead, she comes back around after witnessing like the worst of humanity and just people in absolute desperate need she wants to do actual good change and she comes back stronger from it and with more goodwill and like strength to do more it was just mm, it gave me so much energy it just made me feel so alive right. like seeing this character we've said it like we talked about it in the episode of Kills of the Flower Moon and just uh, even Barbie you guys mentioned about talked about it in the episode when you had the conversation but just it's so hard nowadays to find like genuine proper agency for a protagonist where they're taking like life by the by thorns and just you know ooh, and Bella Baxter does it I think you know film is explicit whatever but this can be a genuine like good character role model for 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 women going forward and people in general and i'm sighing because i i I really like i'm probably gonna log off twitter when the movie comes out wide release because i i'm gonna ban the words poor things i i just i don't want to hear all the terrible discourse because it's you know it's coming you've seen the movie you know how easily it can be misinterpreted and misused this is a movie that explicitly like it doesn't promote sex work, but it shows sex workers as workers, as like real people who are doing a job, who are delivering a service, and there's no shame in that. And it's demystifying it. And you can totally see new Emma Stone movies promoting prostitution. <laughs> Or things like Which, that. Which I mean, that's that's what the film though is like attacking. Like that's exactly like I don't know. Not that it's like promote sex work where it has a big sign that says like women should do it, but it's like why wouldn't like that's what the film is saying. It's breaking down that social wall and trying to be like why is it wrong even if we are saying that because mm-hmm. it's just work, right? That's just what it is, just in a different form. You use like your body at a factory, right, to make a. Me- metal thing or whatever i don't work in a factory but um (laughs) you you can use we can use our bodies for this thing you know like why like what what's the difference there what's the point there like and i think that's so genius and it's so bold i mean again i'm also gonna probably mute the fuck out of this film let's be clear um but like it's so perfect in that and it's such a good job um 
I love also the comedy. I just the cruise. There's a specific moment with Mark Ruffalo where he goes out on deck and he's like, I'm going to throw the old lady <laughs> overboard. And he's just like trying to fight this old woman. And especially when you talk about the high society, this film pokes a lot at their theology, what they value, mm-hmm. philosophy. There's some great conversations in here where Bella is being told by one person, like, oh, this is always time. Fuck philosophy. Like it's stupid. And other people are like, oh, no, the, everything is in this in these books and everything is philosophy. Um, but also just like when they face with conflict every single character specifically Mark Ruffalo though just breaks down to being like this crying child Um, there's also a scene where he loses a tremendous amount of money and it's like it's just hilarious and in that the film is so perfect with its craft of how it sits there and laughs at Mark Ruffalo and it's like oh you're just like a pathetic joke but then it also turns it to be like wow you're actually this really venomous asshole and like especially towards Bella Baxter and there's also moments in Paris that are very much so like this um, where it's just like he's funny but it also doesn't change like wow at the root of this all these things that you are presenting yourself to be you're not and when you get broken down and like you have a whole statement there on men and the relationship between men and women I mean every single part of this film for as funny as it is for as creative as it is for as beautiful as it is there's so much depth I mean every single dialogue piece every single performance you can break down to find something of value I mean that's like a really impressive trait for a film to have Yes. And Mark Ruffalo, performance of the year, maybe. <laughs> just honestly, all the best supporting actor predictions, just people aren't ready for the power of Mark Ruffalo in this film. Um, it's the fact that he's so cocky and self-confident at first, like this this slimy lawyer who seduces Bella and he's like, oh, I'm going to make love to you. I want to take you away. I'm going to come through the window. She's just like... I'm about to get married. I, I need some experience. Yeah, I might as well, you know, <laughs> let's do it. And she leaves. And he's, it's definitely something that he's done before with other women. It's just this womanizer. And then he, he, he finds his match, someone who is full of energy <laughs> that he can't sustain. So he's always super tired. So it's like, no, stop, stop. No more sex. Stop, please. <laughs> please. I'm dry. <laughs> it's like, okay, fine. Uh, and he starts like, the fact that he can't control her starts making him feel insecure and he wants to control her more and it's just like going in this cycle <laughs> just and he becomes this pitiful miserable little man who says he loves her but mainly is just obsessed with the fact that he can't shape her into who he wants her to be <laughs> and he literally goes about... insane which is incredible yeah. Well, think about how this also the relationship starts, which is him creating the contract so she will marry her husband. And she's like, yeah, actually, I'll just run away with you like from my husband and we can have all the sex. And like, I don't know why he would be upset by it. It's so funny that this is the introduction where like and then he'd be like, oh, I can totally control her. And like, totally, she, he's going to stick by my side and do everything I want when like every single one of her actions have been like insane up to that point. It's so good. Yeah. No, yeah. it's it's uh it's 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 incredible and and yeah yeah i i i'm curious now to know what you think about like the last act of the movie yeah. once bella comes back from the cruise yeah. and the, the trip around europe and from paris i'm i'm interested to know your thoughts yeah. on that like full spoilers I... for for listeners yes full spoilers <laughs> so 
Bella returns home, about to actually get married, and then the original husband of the woman's body comes back and is like, actually, you're married to me. And instead of fighting it, she agrees to go with him to see what her life was like, see why she killed herself or whatever. Um, and then they have this whole thing where like he tries to like have her like go under surgery and all this, and then like she drugs him and then turns him into, I think it's the goat at the end or an animal at the end let's say and i was like really frustrated because i think it's a really nice ending her getting married and like if you're gonna push forward with this new thing this is not really established in the plot this is not really like we need this to wrap up you know a narrative there's really two reasons why i would say you do this number one is to give some new detail or explain something that hasn't been explained before that will add weight or gravitas to the story not really done here we established that she killed herself we established that men are terrible seeing that this specific man was terrible and made her life hell so she killed herself i'm not really shocked by it doesn't really add anything um or to add something new if you're going to subvert expectations and go in a different direction and as she starts to do like surgery on him i was like oh my god this is perfect they're gonna do this beautiful poetic thing where she takes the brain of god who is dying and puts it in him because also earlier in the film they have this whole part where he's like the whole he's rejected the world because the world like his physical form um gets rid of like ridiculed and attacked and everyone hates him so i was like oh that's beautiful that god this like uh person who's had to live with this physical like figure is going to be put into this healthy young man's like body and then his brain will have to be put in gods and then like it was i thought like oh that's perfect that's poetic whatever i go for another hour but then they don't and then they just do it like they have this like kind of funny dark twisted joke to end it and yes you get like the iconic moment of emma stone sitting there but i was just like what does this at final 20 to 30 minutes really add other than ruin for, in my opinion, a pretty beautiful ending with her getting married. I just didn't feel like it added much for the runtime it took. It didn't answer any questions. It just kind of reinforced what the film already had established. I think, again, there was something there. And I'm curious how the book ended because I know it's different. I haven't read the book. Um, but for me, it didn't do much. What about for you? I liked it, but I think it's definitely the weakest part of the movie. Um, I, I, kind of what you said, to be honest, uh, in terms of like reasoning, it's the way that I saw the whole like giving her a full backstory and actually showing it to us and going back home is just I don't know, like the cycle of abuse of husbands because we never really see a, we see manipulative men, but we don't really see abuse, so it's also showing that element of it, and also just a part of history because a lot of women underwent lobotomies when they became a thing they underwent uh, genital mutilation just to kill libidos and all those things so so the fact that it's like oh shit this was happening like a hundred years ago <laughs> it's not it's not that old you know like great grandparents like lived through this shit um i found that to be kind of interesting in a way but it felt it, again it's it's a bit more serious narratively speaking what's happening but it also felt a bit like lower energy than everything that came before it which is not a negative per se but you're riding such a high and you peak with the wedding it's like oh they're getting married and uh, William Defoe is there and everyone's hey they're celebrating then you Christopher Abbott comes and it's like a break everything screeches to a halt I get it like you kind of need that you don't really I think it's needed in terms of the character to go that extra step and especially because there's such a mystery behind who she was I don't think it would work if you don't pay it off somehow 
who she was before because you like you mentioned earlier like you keep having these characters like i'm pretty sure i know you your name wasn't we met there's like no no i'm bella baxter you don't know me okay weird oh you looks just like her it's like there's so many of these so many moments like that that you know it's going to end up into ah here's who she was ah. but i agree that it's just just it's a bit too long for its own good you wouldn't have it. Yeah, I, I, for me, and valid for anyone who disagrees. I like it being a mystery. I like the fact that like we never know because it's not really like, fine, relevant honest, who she yeah. was. I think though, also one way you could have changed this is when they introduced that it was a um, suicide or it was an accident that she jumped. If you added something like a little bit more question there as far as what her actual motivations were, because um, if it was like an accident in the film, they say it's a suicide is what it's like. It also opens on it, right? Sure. If I'm not mistaken. It opens on it. But I think it would have been interesting if um, he, Willem Dafoe, they like, they have the conversation about it and he'd be like, um, oh, so like, you know, it was a suicide, right? And he had like this moment of hesitation. And he was like, yeah, I'm sure. Because you don't really know if it was a suicide or accident. And then at least then there would have been this intrigue trying to figure out like, there would have been a question to be answered about like, when she goes, was it actually a suicide? And you could even have this like, ter- rev- um, like uh, expectation where like, oh, it seems like it's uh, a really happy place and a really good guy. Maybe mm-hmm. it's like actually a good thing. And then it twists and no, he's actually shit. <laughs> I think there was like, it just needed something. I, for me, it had just nothing. But I mean, I guess if you really were like hoping for a payoff as far as what her original identity was, I could see why it would do more for you. I just, I don't know. I was really thrilled that like, oh, I'm not going to get an answer. Like, I love that. I love a little piece there again, but that's yeah. just me. How did the book end? Spoilers for the book, obviously. Full spoilers for the book. Well, just generally, the book is way less fantastical than the film. Like, all of the, like, oh, Godwin is just burping his own acids. Like, no, that's not in the book. No flying vehicles, no, like, dogs with different animals' heads and things like that. No. The whole thing is, the book is the equivalent, and I forgot to read up the actual term, <laughs> like technical term for it, but it's the equivalent of a found footage film, where you basically have the actual author, Alistair Gray, in the opening, be like, oh, I was going around, I don't remember the context, like, oh, I was liking this thing, and I found this collection, like journals, and then I found this book from certain McCandles titled this thing, and I retitled it, poor things, and I'm giving it to you, and also at the end, there's some letters that I found together with these journals, like, okay, interesting, and then what you're reading is the film, basically, in a way more toned down version, but still very funny and witty, a bit less sexually explicit, but still it has that element of like eroticism and just people talking about sex in a very plain, straightforward way. It's very funny, but with different language. Um, the, the film is definitely faster paced and wittier because the dialogue just plays differently. But again, it's, it's just, it's a book. It's a book. It's what it is. Everything plays out from McCandle's point of view up until Bella is almost back home, which then it transitions into letters that Godwin received from Bella that he's reading aloud to McCandles. <laughs> and that takes you to the whole like trip through Europe, which is like different places, different people that she meets. There's no elderly Anoshigula uh, and, and things like that. But it all culminates with Paris, prostitution, and then she comes back home to Glasgow, I, feel, I believe it's the, the city in the book. 
Then you get the wedding, which then leads to the husband coming back, and there's the father of Bella, and blah, blah, blah. It's kind of like in the film. Only that in the end, like, she goes back home. There's no animal transfusion. The husband gets just shot. I think he dies or something. And they live happily ever after the end. And I was like, oh, shit. Why is there still, like, 80 pages to go? What, what the? F-? I was like, I was ready to close already. <laughs> Interesting. What happens next is that you get letters from Bella, from Bella Baxter, who talks about her own experience, and she's written them in like 1972, 40 years after her husband has died. And she says it's all bullshit. And what you basically get is the equivalent of Grey, the equivalent of Twilight but Edwards POV, but in the same book. So it's Bella writing a letter for posterity, or like to a friend or something, kind of being like, yeah, like, I saw him, it was like, my husband was a bit of a dick, you know, just this spineless man. Just, you know, it was all right, it was an all right marriage, but he had this whole weird version of myself, and he was like very insecure, and so he wrote this whole story. He really wasn't a fan of Godwin, but he describes him as this like creature, but it's not really like that. It was just a bit weird, but it never looked like a deformed <laughs> monster or something. It's super funny, like in some parts, she's like, even his writing, like it's very derivative of like Mary Shelley and these other things. Like, holy, sh- holy, he's going there, like he, he goes places. This it, the book is brilliant just for this ending alone because you're reading it, it's like, oh shit, it's poor things, it's the movie that I've watched, kind of like different, but it's the movie, it's, it's great, it's fun. And then you get to the ending, and it's literally just her being like, yeah, this is all bit bullshit, you know, like the way he tells it, and he exaggerates some things, and he takes it into some weird direction, and none of this ever happened, or this happened in a different way. Just masterful. Just absolutely masterful. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, I had no I mean, I had no idea. I like oh, no, I wish I read it. Oh well, whatever. Um, I, I'm yeah, sorry I spoiled it because it's so like oh, I'm never gonna read it. You're good. That's wow, yeah. It's that's, hard, like it, genius. It's hard to talk about it because I, I I want to write a review for like my sister's website where she talks about books and sometimes I write like book versus film articles and I really want to talk about it, but that's yeah, it's. It, I, don't, I don't know if I want to call it a twist. And there's this whole element where she's also self-aware, and she's like, "Now, if you're someone like reading this letter, it's up to you to decide like what's more plausible or not." And then she talks about like her next marriage and like the relationship with her children. I I was stunned. I was stunned because it made me think. Like when I was reading that, I was thinking about your comments about the end, the ending that you weren't a fan of it. I was thinking about my own experience watching the ending. I was like. I understand what Lanthimos did. Lanthimos was like, okay, this is just way too much for t- to put in a film, like the unreliable narrator. So let's scratch that. And we take something that's all exaggerated and they just go crazy with it. And they make it a pure fantasy. Like this, I think it qualifies as a fantasy film, right? Like it is. Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. I mean, def- yeah, I, I appreciate what he did. I think he definitely chose, like, compared to trying to make that work, because I think that's really tricky on the cinematic <laughs> level. And also, like, I appreciate, because that almost undercuts. If, like, they had a twist reveal at the end of the film, where she, like, it just is, like, her monologuing to the camera about, like, actually, this is what happened. Like, it undercuts so much of it. I'm really grateful, then, that he made that choice. Mm-hmm. Um, 
fascinating though. It sounds like from a literary standpoint, fascinating choice. I've never read anything like. Apparently, it's a whole subgenre no. of like, like found footage books. <laughs> I still don't remember the name. Yeah. Um, but the like I as really soon recommend... as I read it, I was like, "There's so much potential here." To be just like, oh, I found this story and I'm just going to show it to you. And you just read it. And then it's like, oh, there's also some letters attached. Ah, I don't know. Take it. And it's completely changes your experience with the original text. It's ingenious. It's ingenious. It, I, I, and after like, it's been a week, I think, since I finished it or close to it. It's made me, I think I love both experiences for very different reasons. And like you said, like I'm glad that Lanthimos embraced the main narrative <laughs> because it would undercut so much if it had the extra epilogue, let's say. Uh, but also the extra epilogue is actually what makes the book stand out and work really well. Um, yeah, Which is, I think, I mean, you've had an entire podcast <laughs> talking about adaptations, but for me, um, I that's why I love adaptations. Like, the best adaptations are ones that do not ruin the experience mm-hmm. of either the book or the movie or whatever it is, but instead it creates two worthy, enhanced experiences that are just different takes on some of the similar ideas and same concepts and same plot points. Um, so I really appreciate that they did that. I think it sounds like it'd be a rewarding read and a rewarding watch. Yeah. Um, it's very breezy. It's very, it's very easy to read, yeah. especially because in some places it goes sure. very, um, uh, and uh, again, it shows I'm terrible with like literary terms compared to movies, <laughs> but, uh, there are entire parts where we're like, it's written as Bella would write it which is all very like choppy and you have to like read it out loud yourself. And then you have the character saying the same thing. Like I received a letter from Bella. She's like, Hey, Lord Godwin. I got, uh, I go to the bucket. It's just like a literary. It's like, Oh, I have to read it aloud to actually understand what she's talking about. I'm like, Oh yeah, actually I, I should do that. <laughs> and I, I can read it. That makes sense. Uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's so clever. I, I, I would, I'm glad that the book is getting the spotlight a little bit as well, with, like, Lanthimos has mentioned Alistair Gray multiple times promoting the film, which I think is... It's so easy to say, oh, the film is brilliant, the characters are brilliant. Like, Duncan Wedderburn is the same in the book as he is in the film. (laughs) It's just as slimy, it's such as fun to just follow around. Uh, You get letters from him in the book itself, because he, like, sends letters, a a long letter to Godwin. (laughs) And it's super fun for the it, it starts getting to points that are very like explicit sexually, and then it just breaks the fourth wall. And it's like, oh, I'm just gonna skip this part for you, McCandles, because it's uh, yeah, it just talks about you know they're jumping on the bed, and, and that's fine, it's fine for like two pages and a half. It talks about his his dick, it's fine, it's fine. Let's go, <laughs> let's go forward. <laughs> let's pick it up here, and <laughs> it just picks up again. It's honestly like I would say read it, Carson, but without rush, without anything like. Even everyone listening, like your local library is probably gonna get the movie tie-in copy of this sooner or later. Sure. Just, just take it. Just take it. Audiobooks. I don't know who narrates it. Probably someone good. I hope so. Um, it's worth a listen as well, I guess. Um, yeah, I'm, I was shocked. It, it managed to enhance to enhance my memory of the film and also gave me oh. something more, which I was not expecting. I did that adaptation for like a year and a half. And there's a lot of books that are just the film or vice versa. Where it's like, ah, okay, it's the same thing. Yeah, some differences and some similarities. It's very hard to find 
a book and a film that stand on their own for very different reasons with wildly different endings and goals. So, yeah. I'll read it. I'll probably try to read it before I watch the film again because I definitely want to watch this again. Same. Uh, I would love to see it in the cinema again. I don't know if I'm going to make that happen, but um, I definitely want to watch it a few more times. So I'll definitely check it out. It's worth it with um, a crowd. Like you need the, It's, oh, it's yeah. good to have a crowd just laughing with the movie. Yeah. Both the crowd and just like being totally surrounded by the visuals. I mean, they're really, I cannot like stress enough that I've like, there's a lot of beautiful films. It, this one really is like special when it comes to visuals. So like go see it on the biggest screen possible. I don't know if they're doing like an IMAX release. This would be brilliant. In IMAX. I saw the trailer in IMAX um, before um, Killers of the Flower Moon. And that was, <laughs> oh yeah. I was just cackling. Oh, and this, the soundtrack I also must mention, it's such a good soundtrack, so unique. Um, also just great in the theater, being surrounded by that. Another um, great dance scene as well. Yeah. Oh, an amazing dance scene. Uh, one of the few dance scenes that made me want to get up and dance, for sure. Um, yeah, it made me also want to travel. Yeah, it's a good film. It's a really good one. Um, Nick, are there any last bits of poor things you want to mention before we wrap up for the day? I really like the smaller roles of like some character. Uh, uh, Margaret Qualley is like a very, very secondary role, but she's just perfect for it. As like a clone of uh, of of Bella, a character that's not present in the book, might I add? Uh, because again, it's very like, oh, we're just gonna get another dead body. It's like no, no. That's also the whole thing in the book. She's like, she's like, yeah, I wasn't like, of course I wasn't dead. Like that's not how it works. <laughs> <laughs> it's just lying about my family, my heritage, and all those things. Um, but no, in the film, I, I, I like the character of Margaret Qualley. We, I think we get like three or four moments with her in the film, but they, they're always just like, they come at the right time. She just gets hit in the head with a ball <laughs> or something. And she's just, when she's banging the meat, it's pretty meat. good, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and all of the little like uh, animals with swapped heads was amazing. Yeah. Also, I don't even remember. It was like a dog duck or something like that it's it was a dog duck oh. um yeah i i i can't wait for the movie to be available just like freeze frame it and 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 and, and oh, like yeah. taking up oh the changing color as well like when it goes from yeah. black and white to color is mm, you, you could feel the audience just in awe oh yeah of the film. when it switches like <gasps> Like a bit of Jesus, this is gorgeous. And then when you get back to the house yeah. and you actually see it in color, it feels so new and full of life. Oh. It feels comparable to like the Avatar films, to where like yeah. if you when you're a crowd and you get that moment, whether it's the first one or the second one, like where it really embraces like the nature and it really embraces just like it feels like you're on a different planet and you can just feel like uh, that or even like I guess in real life like I don't know I remember the first time I saw like Planet Earth the documentary mm. series and you're just like wow like you're experiencing a world that's like new and just unlike anything else you've ever experienced and you can see it it feels tangible like it's right there um, poor things absolutely is that yeah, yeah. it's maximalist it's 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 abstract it's 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 painterly um, I know it's like a mixture of matte paintings backdrops and cgi but it's so seamlessly woven together um i don't know I'd, I'd be curious to see the general reception i think it's going to be very positive outside for conservatives i think everyone else is going to really dig this movie 
which is surprising because we're getting now to the annoying point where people only talk about like awards contenders. And I do like similarly to when, and they're very different movies to be honest, but similarly to when I watched The Shape of Water back in 2017 in Venice and I thought, wow, this is my movie of the year for just what it's doing, what it's talking about. It's definitely not going to be something that a lot of people connect with. And then it won like Best Picture and became this massive movie out of nowhere, seemingly. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if the same happens with Poor Things, where everyone is just focused on the usual suspects of like dramas and the past lives, which are all like great movies in their own right. And then just Poor Things comes out of nowhere and people are like, wait, actually... (laughs) Wait a second. Just put, like you mentioned, like costumes, yeah. production design, makeup, just all those things. Like, you have to think it's going to be one of the top, like, um, not to, like fully get in awards, but like one of the top nomination getters yeah. behind like Killers, The Flower Moon. I don't know how like this doesn't get a shit ton of production designs, yeah, like a, a shit ton of the technical awards performances. I feel like it's possibly going to get two in supporting actor, right? Like best actress definitely is on the table best screenplay and director um i think it depends how the academy which is filled with old white people (laughs) feel about sex um but i mean they just gave everything everywhere all at once not that that was about sex but like a a bold feature so maybe they'll reward it i would definitely be supportive of it um i think this can do well obviously i think film twitter is gonna like eat this up uh that i that was become people's personality Oh, for sure. And the final scene is such a girl boss moment with Emma Stone sitting there. I was like, oh no, she's like at, she's part of like she's part of the lexicon now. She's part of like the film Twitter identity like core. Like we're going to be looking at this image and talking about this woman for years, which I'm here for. Um, I'm here for good pieces of criticism. Um, Yeah. I'm not here for anything else. Sure. Well, I'm going to mute it. So I'm not going to see any of the reaction anyway, but um, it's not, it's well, I don't. I'm trying to stop using Twitter so much um, because it's pretty worthless. But I've found it's also just helpful if you take and it's kind of dark. If you just take every big movie coming out for award season and just mute it entirely, <laughs> just mute every single one, and you'll have a great time on Twitter. I should do that. Um, I should do this for my own well-being. I would recommend. Every year, I'm like, wow, people don't really care about the Oscars anymore, and I'm like, oh, it's because I've muted every single thing you could possibly tweet about it. Got it. You need That's a why. you need a bubble sometimes. You know, mental health is important. Uh, and I just to- want to talk about the movies. Yeah. This movie, this movie is so worth. We talked for what forty six minutes probably about this, and we didn't mention awards once. Like, why would you reduce poor things or any of these movies? To be fair, down to just being like this is the nomination, this is the award win. Like, who cares? Like, as someone who, like, at one point really did love the Oscars Mm -hmm. and really was into it every year. I don't know, like, it's so meaningless. I'm so much more interested in a conversation where you break down what this film has to say thematically and what it means for Lanthimos and what it means for cinema. Like, I I don't care. Like, that's like saying we should go and only talk about the films that, like, got nominated for Oscars and awards and just, like, we should ignore, like, John Couture, for example, Mm -hmm. because, like, it didn't do the award. Like, who cares? That's not the point of cinema is awards. Um, I think it's, like, fun uh, to talk, like, as a political like analysis of award season. But like when it comes to the identity of the films, like, I don't know who cares. The only positive that I can see from, from this becoming like a big awards contender is that it's going to get seen by more people. And I am, I am dying to go to like my 3 PM screening with the old 
elderly Italian ladies, the same ones that I saw Titan with, who were like, this one, the Palm Door? <laughs> Just angry. I was like, I want this again. To be like, this one, the Golden Lion? <laughs> so I'm, I'm waiting for it because I know it's going to be gold. I know they're going to be so, sure. so upset or probably so happy. I, I, I think I've noticed, ah, I don't know if it's a trend in any way. But this year, compared to other years, it feels like it's actually having more impactful stories about women with agency that are also successful and watched by people. Because we've had loads of them for a long time. We, all, we, we both love Agnes Varda. She's our main girl. We love, uh, I mean, I love Chantal Ackerman. I don't know if you like Chantal Ackerman. Uh, there's a lot of female directors that are worthwhile. A lot of stories about, about women that are very well told, but they're not like big movies. They're not movies that people rally around for. But we had Barbie earlier this year, which is number one movie of the year, maybe, actually. I think so, no? Like in terms of... Uh, like, yeah, I think it's made the most out of any, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Marvel's bite catch-up. Um, <clears throat> but we also had, in Italy, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, we had a comedian who made her first feature debut. And it's more of a dramatic comedy. And it's set in, like, post-war Italy about a woman who lives in a very fucking abusive relationship with her husband and she has three children. And it's all played out in black and white about like her trying to like, oh, maybe she's like going to live with a lover that she had when she was younger and there's like uh, the American military and all those things. And it's all playing, I can spoil it because no one's going to watch it. <laughs> I think it's fine for you. Um, I haven't said the name, so maybe people won't figure it out. Um but it all ends up being like a big switcheroo and actually like what she's working towards the entire movie and what she does at the end is actually go vote for the first time when there was like universal voting and it's all the women like actually bringing change and showing that they wanted to vote and like 80% of them turned out to vote in 1948, which was historic. And like I saw the movie in the cinema, packed, packed house. I went to watch Three Colors Red recently at the same cinema. People were still queuing. They were still selling out tickets. This is our Barbie. It's the Italian Barbie. And it's a movie about a... Like, everyone was crying. So my family, mom and sis were crying their eyes out. Everyone around... Like, people clapped. People never clap in Italian cinemas at the end of a movie. And that's a film about, like, directed by a woman about, uh, about women. I was like, holy shit. And then we're getting poor things coming out next, which is going to make a lot of money, I believe, and going to be very successful because it's actually pushing the narrative forward like these other movies. And I think it's happening more and more now. I, I do think it's a positive trend. I don't know how you feel about it. If you're seeing the same thing, um, maybe on a different scope, different level. Um, yeah, I mean, you have to look at, I mean, the success of Barbie, you have to look at the success that people are finding. And I mean, also, like, I don't know, my lens is a lot of, like, international cinema. And I mean, obviously, for the past, like, five years, there have been so many films yeah. dedicated to the experience of women. Um, obviously, a highly politic, like, uh, political lens, you can say there, with recent things about, like, abortion. Oh, yes, um, oh, happening. A ton of things, right, happening. Um, this year, I know there was Thunder for Daughters. Those are all mm. about, like, uh, perspectives of women. So, like, we're definitely in this moment where we are pushing for authenticity behind the camera. We're pushing for looks at what it means to be a woman 
um, look at what they deal with. Um, and it's great to see. And it's great to see films. I don't know what Poor Things is going to do. I feel like it's probably going to make a decent amount of money, hopefully. Um, but even without Poor Things, like Barbie, I think it's very inspiring and it's very like I think it's just really worthwhile. I think any sense of authenticity behind the camera is going to lead to something worthwhile, right? In any form. Um, so I hope that though moving forward, this continues to be a thing. Um, and you're seeing female directors like every year breaking like records for the how much box office they take in. Um, I know the Marvels are. isn't right. Um, I know the Marvels isn't doing great box office wise, but it's still nice to see like a woman, you know, get and obviously Captain Marvel, there's a connection there. But like, I hope that we continue to see women get these opportunities with bigger films, um, with mainstream films. I think, you know, it's interesting. We talked before Barbie on this podcast. I don't know if you were there, but we and maybe it was in the Barbie episode. I listened we talked to about it. Greta Gerwig. And we talked about Greta Gerwig's ambition to become the biggest female director and how like now she's doing Chronicles of Narnia. Mm. And I know like me and Jack were a little hesitant because we're like, oh, we really love her smaller stuff. Uh, But after seeing the success of Barbie, seeing the quality of Barbie, like I love the fact that Greta Gerwig and I think we're going to look back in 20 years and say she really led the way of women coming and taking these bigger projects and where every single one of them might not be great, probably when we get to the end of things. Um, I I want to see women in these spaces, just like I want to see queer bodies. I want to see trans bodies. I want to see all this representation in these bigger spotlights. to where it's bigger than just, oh, we're having Greta Gerwig come in and make the feminist movie, but Greta Gerwig should be able to get an opportunity to make a big Chronicles of Narnia film and just have it be whatever, right? It's like, I think we're on this pathway. And if cinema can survive the next 20 years, which I (laughs) I think it will, let's be clear, um, I hope we continue to see both women step up and take those bigger roles, um, but also see them continue to get spaces to share what it means to be a woman. Obviously, poor things, let's be clear, directed by a man. Um, written but, by men. Based on a novel by written by a man. <laughs> yes. Um, Emma Stone, though, I do believe did like producing produce the film, Produced, right? Yeah. So I think she I think there's obviously some level of authenticity in there somewhere. Um, but I would love to see women continue to have these expressions. So I'm definitely a fan of it. And I see it for sure. It's beautiful. Um Absolutely. With that, let's go to our question of the week. This is Yorgos Lanthimos' um, sixth feature. I don't remember how many features he's had, but we're asking, what is your favorite one of the bunch? Nick, what is your favorite Yorgos Lanthimos film? <sighs> yeah, it's just, I, I think it's like his it's eighth hard. or ninth movie. Um, recency bias would definitely push me to be like, oh, it's, it's, it's this one, man. Two things. But I'm not going to do that. I'm, I've been working towards avoiding recency bias, even though I really loved something. Um, I will go with The Lobster. The Lobster, you know, I'm, I'm romantic at heart. And I really like the the dual structure of The Lobster because it was always sold to me as, oh, it's the hotel where it's all binary and it's this and you have the team with limited time to find your partner. You become an animal. It's like, oh, that's a neat idea. And then I really like that when it goes outside there's a different community that's the total opposite, which is just as problematic, where it's like, we are against love, and no, because that was so bad, so it's just no interactions here, and no sex, and no nothing, and that's then where he falls in love, and it's just like, yes, love comes when it comes, Should you shouldn't push, you shouldn't, it comes in many forms, break the binaries and break the extremes, just let it flow the way it should be. It will come, and once it comes, just embrace it. Um, and I think it has... I think Lanthimos 
which is probably, to be honest, I might say that Poor Things has the weakest ending to any Lansimos movie that I've watched, because all the others managed to be very... Well, it's not the weakest. It's just the most positive and upbeat. Every other ending, it's always really downbeat and very ambiguous and very just... I don't know, just leaves you a bit shaken as soon as the credits start to roll. It's like, oh, shit. And The Lobster, I think, is the one that troubled me the most. As soon as I finished watching, I was like, what? Oh. Like, I'm thinking of, like, four possible ways this can go, and they're all bad. <laughs> or they're not, like, positive, you could say. Um, so definitely The Lobster. I've only seen it once. I, f- I think, like, the only movies mm. movies that I've watched twice is The Favourite. All the others I've only seen once, but there's such... They're so vivid in my memory. They managed right. to stick with me over... I think it's been like five years since I've seen The Lobster. Yeah, maybe six even. Uh, but I still remember like scenes, like entire scenes, the cast. Ben Wisha was in this movie as well. John C. Ryan, like incredible cast. But the ending, man. Like here, Colin Farrell and Rachel Wise yeah. in the restaurant. You want to die just thinking about it. Carson, what's your favorite? <laughs> your Lansing. So much... My truth is that Poor Things is my favorite of his. Yes, the ending is weak, but like the highs it reaches throughout, like I think it just transcends like anything he's done before, to be honest. But I am a fan of his work, so I'm going to pick something else. This will also be on the poll, but I'm going to choose The Killing of a Sacred Deer. Nice. Which is like very underrated. I was so excited for this movie and it's so fully delivered. Such a dark and twisted film. Um, I don't want to give too much away about it if you've not seen it. Because I feel like weirdly a lot of people this like miss this one for some reason. Mm-hmm. I would just recommend you go into it. Don't give too much of it away. Um, it's about a guy who makes a choice and then has to see the consequences of that i guess i'll say um but i also have not seen a lot of his films like multiple times i would love to revisit the lobster i'd love to revisit killing with sacred deer even the favorite i haven't seen since um it released since i saw that like a film festival and i just saw the costumes they have the beautiful oh, yeah. fucking costumes at the academy museum um so i would love to revisit those but for me i'm gonna say killing of a sacred deer but no, in my heart, it is poor things. But I, I yeah. can't be the one at doing recency yeah. bias. So you haven't seen um, his um, Greek films like Dog Tooth and Alps. I haven't seen I saw Alps. Dog yes. Tooth. I haven't seen Alps. I've seen Dog Tooth. Mm, same or Kineta. I think yeah, Kineta. I don't think it's even available in any way. Uh, also, last, I'd love to check him out though. Last thing, banger posters. Every single one of his movies. Oh yeah. Just the artist. I forgot. I think it's it's a, it's a Greek artist. Just, just stellar, stellar work. All of his posters are like very distinct, and also very much his. <laughs> you see the posters? Oh yeah, like, they all like, have a like, vision. They all have a vision. Yeah. I haven't. Nimic has um, a really good poster. I haven't seen the short film, but I Nimic do, is like, very fun. Poster. Uh, it has my man Matt Dillon in it. It's very, <laughs> it's very messed oh. up, very twisted. <laughs> I remember seeing. I'll check it out. Oh yeah, Matt Dillon. I can't really look at him and not see the house that Jack built, but you know, that's fine. When he popped up in um, Asteroid City, he starts shooting. Like, oh, yeah. Oh, no, yeah. don't sing. <laughs> um, with okay, now let's go ending our conversation on your most Lanthimos. Please go check out Poor Things when it releases. I don't know if it's limited or wide release next week, but it's coming out somewhere next week. So keep an eye out for show times. Let's go to our rapid reviews. Nick, what have you seen recently that you would like to discuss? 
more so than movies, because we always talk about movies, we always talk about TV shows. I wanted to recommend books, books and games, because I'm a gamer at heart and I also love to read. Um, like I've I've been reading the Killer graphic novel recently. I don't want to continue reading it. I just I don't really care. It's one of those things. Like I I read, for instance, the History of Violence graphic novel last year. It was painful. I don't know if you like the movie or not, but the movie's million times better, regardless of one's opinion of that thing. And the killer is kind of similar. I'm like at the third volume entry, whatever. And I was like, ah, it's lacking that extra something. And especially after watching the film, it's like the movie just gets to the freaking point. The books is book is very French, takes itself very seriously. Um, speaking of French, I highly recommend the book Fatal by Jean-Patrick Manchette, which is a very tiny, also a bit here, by my side. Very, I have the English copy of it, which is, again, I'd love to get the, the French version. Uh, but it's this very like lean, super super quick and straightforward story of like a, a hit woman uh, who basically kills very dangerous men around France, and she moves to a town where there's a whole mystery happening, and there's politicians corruption, and she's hired to kill someone, but then some things are not as they seem. It's just I I would love to adapt this into a movie because it's so intriguing and so cinematic i think it would be a very a very very good film uh and speaking of video games like we talk about art a lot and i love playing video games i do generally think they are a form of art primarily entertainment but also art everyone if you have a very good pc ps5 or xbox get alan wake 2 alan wake 2 has probably two of my favorite sequences related to art this year. The first game for just general... I don't want to spend too much time talking about Alan Wake, I apologize, but just for context, first game is just, you know, psychological thriller. It's this writer who goes to Washington State for a retreat with his wife, and she disappears, and there's shadowy creatures, and there's a lot of things happening. It's very inspired by Twin Peaks, and, oh, what's going on here? Oh, blah, blah. At the end of the game, it gets trapped into the dark place, and it's just like, oh, what's going to happen next? And 13 years later, we got finally a sequel to the game. And it's a dual narrative where you have in the real world an FBI, a female FBI agent who gets like, like reality starting to be changed by the writings of Alan Wake from the other place, from the dark place that he's stuck in. And so she's trying to figure out a whole like series of gruesome murders in Washington State. And then you also play as Alan Wake, who is stuck in the dark place and so you're in this surreal like mind-bending world just constantly trying to escape it and in that part like i was loving the game i was like this is everything i wanted from this sequel very twin peaks inspired especially the first season of twin peaks but it gets to a point carson where it turns into a musical and i wanted i actually genuinely got emotional it's 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 an it's a musical because it, there's this all like running gag where he keeps reappearing on a TV show like talk show host, game night whatever type of TV program in the this dream world, <laughs> and then the the host is just like oh yes we're gonna do an interview but as a musical and 
it's like a 15 minute sequence where there's the musical going, but you're also playing as the characters and you're seeing the screens with people dancing and there's the song on a loop, but the song is also about the game and the character, ah, Carson, like, it's so good. I, I think people said it best. It's not necessarily the best game of the year, but it's the best multimedia experience of the year. And I honestly genuinely believe it because it also has like live action elements of like the actual actors playing as themselves there's this crazy meta thing where you have the creator of the game who's called sam lake finish who plays the he plays the partner of the fbi agent but he also plays the fictional character that alan wake has written but they are also the same person but they have the same name but they're not the same person but he also plays himself in the game <laughs> i think i'm following <laughs> i think this is great for people who don't play games oh well now maybe i will check it out then yeah i think it's because it's not like in terms game. of like action and stuff it's fairly easy i'm playing on hard and it's fairly easy so if you play on like story mode or whatever you can get a lot out of it it's just insane i'm so fun like i'm i'm like halfway through it i've played for 11 hours still going i'm so happy like for i've waited 13 years for this now i know what how people felt like after because i got into twin peaks when it was i started watching twin peaks when the first season was coming out so i didn't have like 25 years of wait now i get it like playing alan wake 2 after 13 years it's like ah it's half that length I'm so happy for you. I'm happy. Genuinely. I mean, I'll check it out. I don't really play video games, but if it's good for people who don't play games, maybe I'll give it a go. Yeah. Um, I'll have to wait, though. I'm I'll, I'm genuinely planning to binge uh, Twin Peaks in January. So maybe after that, I will... I don't know. We'll see what happens. Um, because right now, I'm just booked with movies. Endless films. Endless movies for the end of the year. As you mentioned, it is not to trigger anyone. It is award season. Um, and I got to see recently a awards contender, some might say. Uh, also debuted, I believe, at the Venice Film Festival. Bradley Cooper's Maestro. Ooh, yes. I watched. Um, and I bring it up now. I know it's not on Netflix for a few weeks, but it's in theaters now, I believe. And please go see this in a theater if you're going to go see it. The music alone, how it swells, the power behind it. Have you seen this film? No, I missed it. Okay. It is genuinely like some of the best usage of music I've ever seen in a movie. Um, but the performances, what really shocked me was the energy in this film. It's a very performative feature, mm-hmm. both in setting, both in um, attitude, like pacing energy, um, but also the performances are very performing at times, both Bradley Cooper and Carrie Mulligan. Um, but they build this really emotional story, not perfect, but very emotional looking at what we sacrifice, what we keep in, um to ourselves and our souls and our desires um for the look for trying to find fame or trying to find happiness um and i found it to be very worthwhile not quite as good as a star is born but bradley cooper continues to just knock it out of the park as a director um and i think he's such a such a promising voice and just maestro again highly recommend i don't know what it is with these streaming originals this year and i think it's been for a couple years now where like every film that you need to go see 
see in the cinema is a streaming original. I don't get it, y'all. I don't know why yeah. they don't pick the movies that can just be on streaming to be the ones going to streaming. Why is Next Goal Wins? Peace and Love. I haven't seen it. But like, why isn't that on Netflix? Why is Maestro on Netflix? I don't get it. Um, but I would definitely recommend people go check it out. Um, yeah. So with that, that's going to conclude our episode today. Nick, where can we find you on social media? You can find me on Twitter and Instagram and Blue Sky at Nikitra97. Uh, Blue Sky is just backup Twitter, just like copy and paste every time I tweet something, you know. I know people use it in a different way. Just bless you for having the time and energy to do that. Um, and you can you can you can watch my short films and videos on YouTube and Vimeo at Enjoy the Movies or just search for Nicolo Grasso, Letterbox as well. And yeah. Stay tuned for good news, hopefully very soon, about my short film, Phantom Touch, in the coming weeks or months. I don't know. I'll start sending it to film festivals as, as, uh, as the end of the year comes close. How exciting. How exciting. It's like my new Luca Guadagnino shoe documentary where I'm like, <laughs> oh, got to wait, counting down the days until Phantom Touch. Someone's going to get um, an early yeah. link very soon <laughs> to watch it. I would appreciate it. Um you can find me on Twitter at PP underscore movie reviews, Letterbox, just Carson Damar. Thank you so much for watching and listening. Thank you so much, Nick, for joining me for this bonus episode. Um, throughout this couple month period, there's going to be a few of these. Me and Jack already did one for the new Hunger Games film. Me and Jack, because of that, are also doing one for um, Ferrari. Nick, I don't know if you're joining us for that one, but we'll be there. Because, um, of course, Jack was like, yeah, I'll do Hunger Games if you do the new man film. So I was like, yeah, whatever, we'll do it. So um, as well pay. as just normally scheduled stuff, Patreon soon. Our Wonka review is releasing, which is insane to say. That, like when this releases, it'll be like two weeks until Wonka. That's insane. It doesn't um, feel like all it. that is happening. It's a very busy time on the podcast, but I'm loving it. I'm very excited. Uh, thank you so much for listening. We'll be back next week because um, we're discussing next week The Boy and the Heron, the new Hayao Miyazaki film. What a treat that we get to discuss a new Miyazaki film here on the podcast. Um, so we'll see you then. Goodbye.